Tampa Bay's Tan Talk. Entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Cannonball. An old cannonball is going to be passing you like you weren't even there. Anyone can enter and anything goes in a squealing, smashing outlaw race across America. Uh, I want to make a little bet on the Trans-American Grand Prix. Can you handle $20,000? Gentlemen know each other, don't you? Mr. Redmond, Mr. Buckman. I believe we run into each other once or twice. It's a cross-country demolition derby. I mean to win this one. And if you so much as come within 100 miles from me, you're going to wind up with my tire tracks right up your... The winner gets 100,000. The losers keep what's left of their cars. Nice, huh? Get me the highway patrol. We're trying to get a word here with Brad Phillips, organizer of the race. Brad, tell me, your race has been called an outlaw sporting event. Do you have any comment on that? Well, the police and safety officials around the country get upset because our drivers tend to exceed the speed limits. One speeding ticket and you're back in prison. Oh, God, there's trouble. It's a freeway free-for-all that hits with the impact of a head-on collision. car could beat anything on the road. This car the winner. Cannonball. Set the way back machine. Yes, sir, Mr. Peabody. Hey, this is comedian, author, and most importantly, vintage race car driver Adam Carolla telling you I love nostalgic radio and cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to the Southern Pavement Cars. I'm your show host, Sir Robert. Run your computers and Google Tan. Talk 1340.com. And you can see, wow, yours truly, live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GulfStreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, check out NostalgicRadioAndCars.com. Good evening, Bobby. Hey, happy Tuesday. 
Well, I can say Happy Valentine's Day because you are my son. And happy I, Tuesday. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I can say Happy Valentine's Day to mommy. Okay. And uh, so anyway, 40 years. 40 years we've been married. That's pretty good. Anyway, hey, we got a great show for you tonight. We've got a special guest coming on here in a few minutes. In fact, Bobby, might as well go ahead and yeah, give let's him a call give him a here. Ring. Let's give him a ringy-dingy down here. Um, not sure how much time he's got, but he's going to hang out with us here for a little bit because there's a really great event. Now, you know I'm a big vintage race car fan. I like vintage racing because it's vintage racing and it's cars that pretty much all of us old farts, did I say that, old farts, um, can identify with. There's new stuff. Not a fan of NASCAR at all anymore. IndyCar, it's all spec racing, just big money spec racing. So, and, you know, the old days, the drivers had, you know, they had some substance to them. The drivers had, uh, you know, they could fix on the cars. I mean, you get a guy like Pinella Jones or Dan Gurney or Mario Andretti, they, they'd be in, a, in an open-wheel car one day, and they'd be in a race, uh, uh, a NASCAR the next day, and they'd be in a road race car the day after that. And they might even be in a go golf cart, go-kart. But anyway, so they'd drive anything. And then if they had to, they'd carry a set of tools with them, and they could wrench. All right, so enough of that. It's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. I'm delighted to welcome this gentleman to the show. He is the president of SVRA, Sports Vintage Racing Association, Tony Perella. Tony, how are you this evening? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? Pretty good. You and I met uh, a number of years ago down at Homestead when you were doing a vintage race down there many, many, many years ago. Okay. So, Many years ago. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's kind of like uh, right when you kind of were kind of – Setting things on fire. So now you've really got things flaming. So uh, you've done very well. You got Trans Am going, and uh, you got this oh, this uh, speed tour going on. Tell us a little bit about that. that. That caught my eye, and I actually saw that on Facebook. For what it's worth. Well, that's good to know. At least we know our social media stuff is working. <laughs> yeah. We uh, speed the first. Uh, our, we run twenty five events a year, but our kickoff of the season is at Sebring, Florida, not this coming weekend, the following weekend. And at that race, we will have, of course, SVRA. We will have the full uh, Trans Am Series, the National Series kicks off. And we will have my International GT, which is uh, a race group of Porsches and Ferraris, a, a really cool group of uh, racers. And then on Saturday... Uh, we have a car show that'll have an excess of 400 uh, show cars. Richard Petty will be uh, our grand marshal, and uh, we're really excited. It should be a fantastic weekend, and several uh, big names are racing in our uh, Trans Am series with Paul Menard, Justin Mark, owner of a trans of a NASCAR team, Boris said, Wally. Ballenbeck Jr., uh, Front Row Joe is going to be there racing in our stock car group. Uh, so we got a we got a great turnout. There'll be over 400 race cars there competing, starting on Friday all the way through Sunday night. Wow! So now on Thursday, are people going to be setting up? If some people want to happen to be in the area. Oh, say that again, please. On Thursday, will some of the cars be you know the the trailers now oh. really be setting up and everything? Oh, sure. In fact, Thursday is the test day. It's not open to the public for buying tickets, but uh, we'll be we'll be getting loaded in on Wednesday, actually. And then Thursday is the test day for all the teams. Okay. And then Friday starts practice qualifying, and then Saturday and Sunday are all races. Okay, super. Now, 
how does how does this work? What's the what's the 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 agenda as far as the racing now? So that so so Thursday is testing, and yep. each group. So the vintage race car guys go out, and then the Trans Am car guys go out. Correct. That's correct, and then the IGT guys go out, and it's every it's on the half hour. Um, the Trans Am races, the feature race uh, for TA two. That's one of our classes is on Saturday right after lunch, and then the TA group is Sunday right after lunch. But the vintage guys race every 30 minutes on the half hour. we got a different race group going out. There'll be over 10 different race groups running each day. Uh, so it's from 8 in the morning to 6 at night, there's cars on track. It's, it's amazing. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, give us a breakdown of some of the classes in vintage in, in the SVRA side. Tell us about some of those the cars. Vintage, yeah, yeah in, the, in the vintage side, you're going to see everything from, first on the production side, production cars ranging from the late 50s, early 60s, all the way up to modern-day production cars. You'll have uh, our group one and three are production cars that are small bore, or less, less than like V4s or, or V6s. And then we have uh, our mid-range production cars where you'll see uh, Porsches and, and that type of, you know, from the 60s and 70s. And then you'll see a full stock car group with ex-NASCAR uh, stock cars. Our Group 10 is loaded up with GT cars. And then we have our Group 9, which is open-wheel cars like X-Indy cars or uh, Formula cars. And on top of that, we have what my favorite group is our Group 6, which is American Muscle from 1965 through 1972, uh, you know, Camaros, Mustangs, Corvettes, that era type car. And, um, and then, of course, with Trans Am, our TA2 are spec cars, and where they're all Camaros, Mustangs, or uh Corvette, TA2 is Camaros, Corvette, uh, Camaros, Mustangs, and Challengers. And then in the TA group, you have, our, including Corvettes, there's really unlimited uh, horsepower on them. They just got to stay within a big block uh, uh, cubic inch. But the, the race show is unbelievable. It's very, very competitive, and they go after it. It's, it's good racing. It's fun. So now, Group 6 is obviously my favorite as well because that's pretty much all the wrecked all the all the real vintage trans am cars from back in the day and the SCCA uh, road race cars right that's exactly right the same type of car uh and, and and you got big blocks in there too back in the day with trans am uh the historic trans am they had a cubic sink they were small blocks but now you also have um in our group six, we have big black Corvettes and big black Camaros. It's that's fun. They get after it. I'll tell you, it's fun to see. All right. So now, in the old days, um, when I say old days, I'm going back. You know, maybe 23 years ago, SVRA was very. The cars had to have legitimate racing history to qualify for. You know, group two, three, four, five, six, wherever they were at. Right. Right. So how right. is it today? There's still that we have what's called the gold medallion cars mm-hmm. that they have they have official history and they are prepared exactly like they were back in the day. We have very stringent rules and inspection process. 
But then you have guys that over the years built race cars that didn't necessarily race in the 60s, but they are built to spec, so we allow those cars in. So you have both. The gold medallion cars get special recognition um, because, you know, if, if they're with history, that's probably worth a lot more money. They're raced differently than a car that was built to go racing. That's an older car, but it was built without the prominence. Those guys tend to be a little more aggressive. So we, are, we acknowledge both. All right, so now if I have an SVRA medallion car, I'm not going to be in the same class or the same field as someone that's got a, let's say, a newer, modern-day, vintage, period-correct race car, but with you know modern technology and stuff in it. Am I or am I? You can, both. Sometimes you are. If we only have a few medallion cars for a given weekend, right? then we let them race with the bigger group, okay. but we give them a separate podium. We have Sometimes we run races like at Sonoma or Laguna Seca. We've done all gold medallion races where we won't let anything but gold medallion cars. But in this case for Sebring, we have such a big turnout down there. We don't want to turn people away who want to go racing that have period correct prepared cars. We let them race. And we just have, we have guys with gold medallion cars or girls with gold medallion cars. We acknowledge them uh, for their contribution of bringing an authentic car. Let them race. But they don't. They're not necessarily the fastest out there, to be honest with you. Okay. No. No. Uh, nat- naturally. All right. So then, how does that work as far as classifying those cars? If I have a car that I might think might be a potential gold medallion car, what what are the qualifications for that to recognize that car, and what type of uh, um, scrutiny does that vehicle have to go through? Uh, it has to go through a, a. First of all, we have an application that they have to fill out. Mm-hmm. They have to outline there's a series of questions this is like a six-page application validating the brakes the engine displacement it has to have a certified engine builder certificate once we get all the paperwork in then my head of tech they bring the car to the racetrack and we go through it if there's so much as a period if there's like a gauge that's not period correct or they didn't use the we we write it up and say fix these things and then you'll be gold medallion. So we're very very strict, but they get a special logbook. They get special recognition. If you go to the SBRA website, you can see all the gold medallion cars. They're amazing, um, and that tells their history and all that. It's really a it's a unique club within SBRA, so to speak. It's a badge of honor, but most people today. Like if a car was a drum brake car, and they, a lot of guys want to run disc brakes now, because obviously you can stop better, they're safer, they're more predictable on how they're going to track. There's some guys that they don't want to race with drum brakes, they convert it to disc brakes, we allow that, but then in that case, they're not a gold medallion car anymore. Oh, really? Okay. So, all right, so let's just say the car was built in 1970, and the car raced 70, 71, 72. In the old days, it used to be a gold medallion car had to be, or even an SVRA car in general, had to be prior, had to have racing history prior to 1972. But if you had a 70 right. car, or let's say a 68 car, you could basically, because most of those cars ran two years, you could run, if the car was built in 70, but it still ran in 72, and it was upgraded to 72 specs, that was acceptable. Is it still that way? Yes. 
Yeah, oh yeah. And, and the idea is wherever we class somebody, we want it represented as it really is. That's okay. the whole key to this. When you got a hundred years of cars, it's impossible <laughs> to take a, a century of automobile development and then all the changes that have come in technology since those cars were built. It's impossible to put them all in 10 classes and have it be exactly right. So what we do is we really, if, if somebody's got disc brakes conversion, but yet everything else on the car is right, we'll add a 100-pound penalty to that, that they got to carry an extra 100 pounds in the, in the car to make up for having the newer brakes. We do our best to keep the racing very fair and a level playing field, but think about how many different eras of cars. As you said, most cars, current professional race cars, are obsolete two years after they were put on the track for the first time. So you got a hundred years of that, and we're trying to fit it into ten or twelve groups. Very hard to do, but we we really do a good job with it. It's it's fun. In some of these fields, you'll you'll see race groups of thirty or forty cars out there. It's amazing the fields we draw. Wow, uh, is Jack Worley still with you guys? No, Jack hasn't been with us for a while. He um he's with HSR. He works for a competitive group. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, um, all right. So now back to the um, the the vintage sports cars and stuff. The uh, the, how much does it cost if I if I if I want to participate in an event and I've got whether I have a, a modern vintage car let's just say you know converted or if I have a gold medallion cars or a difference in price is it the same? No, no, it's the same. SBRA members normally five hundred and seventy five dollars for a weekend. Okay, that includes five sessions on track. They get a practice session. They get a practice session on Friday morning. A first qualifying session on Friday afternoon, a second chance for qualifying on Saturday morning, feature race one Saturday afternoon, and then sometime on Sunday another feature race. So they get all told two and a half hours of track time uh, for five hundred bucks. It's pretty tough to beat. Really? So when you say qualify. So let's say I have your basic 1966 Shelby GT350 with my little 289 yep. motor in it and my little 9-inch rear end and disc brakes on the front and drums on the rear, or maybe it was upgraded mm-hmm. to disc brakes. So when you say qualify, how, what, how's, the, how's that set? What's the standard? What's, what's, the, what's the bar? The, the, the bar is the whoever out of, let's say there's 20 cars in that field. Right. Whatever your your whatever your lap time is, the best lap time of the qualifying session. That's how we rank you, and that's how the starting grid for the feature race one will be. And oh. then your finish, then your finishing position of your first feature race will dictate setting the grid for the second feature race. Okay. So you could qualify great, start on the pole, have a bad race. You got to start in the back on the next race, but you still could come all the way back. If you qualify bad, but you get your your act together and you race hard, you can still get to the front. So we, it's kind of a that's the format. Okay, so basically, because when you say qualify, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, if I don't meet a you know, like you know the run around Sebring is what uh, a minute forty or something like that. If you're really fast. Um, 
Yeah, it depends on the car. It's four, it's four, it's four miles. It's just under four miles. Long. Right, right, right. So if you say qualify, and I can't, and I'm running it like, uh, let's say I'm just a lollygagging kind of driver just out there having a good time, but I'm good, but I'm not really fast because my car's not fast, and I didn't know whether I had to qualify within a certain time limit or you're just talking about whatever my lap time is, and then that's where you position me uh, on the track, uh, in the okay. field against your peers in that race group exactly okay that works fine that's good that's good so that means i spend 500 bucks i show up with my race car i'm guaranteed to race even if i'm slow even if you're slow but you're going to be with like-minded cars okay and and you're going to be with cars that have about the same potential for lap time so you really get a good chance to race and even if you're not up front when you have 20 and 30 cars in the field sometimes even more you got somebody to go race against. I mean, they're not racing for money. They're racing for for fun, and they're yeah. racing for a trophy. But it you get to it's racing. Believe me, it's not parading. You're you're out there racing. All right, and so it's, uh, it's wonderful. Okay, good. All right, so say let's say I'm on the track and somebody's a little uh, let's say over anxious, okay, and a little little too eager on the track. How do you deal with those guys? Well, we. <laughs> we preach in the driver's meeting it's a no-contact sport. This is a NASCAR where, you're, where we're going to push somebody away. I, I use the analogy, uh, this is flag football, this isn't the NFL. Um, so, you know, when you got a cars, there's cars that race with me that are worth millions of dollars, believe it or not. And so we discourage any kind of contact. You can race as hard as you can as long as the car doesn't do something you don't expect it to do. If you take somebody out because you're overzealous or you make a move that there wasn't room to clear and you tear up somebody, more often than not, if it's proven on who's fault on track, then we, uh, we park them. You're done. Okay. You, you don't, you don't, you know, sometimes minor stuff would generally just give a warning. If they really have a serious incident and they caused it, we park them for a year. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. So, Tony, and, and, go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. You were just saying. So, so the, idea, the idea behind this is we got very, very competitive racing, but we don't, we don't want people tearing up their equipment. The goal is put the car back on the trailer the way it came off the trailer and enjoy the weekend. Having said that, stuff happens in a race car. Parts break, things happen, oil gets dropped. Issues happen on track that we we really do our best to make sure that the guys are safe and not driving over their head. We don't want anybody getting killed on our watch. And thankfully, we've been very blessed. we got an amazing safety record. Super. All right, so now what type of a license do I need to drive an SVRA? Uh, it's very simple. You first have to go to an accredited driving school, and there's, I don't know how many of them across the country, there's several. Uh, and then once you get signed off by a three-day driving school where you know the flagging and you know basic racecraft, so you're not going to be lost out there not knowing what to do, then we put you, we let you come in and we give you a temporary license and you keep your nose clean for a weekend, and then we sign off for your permanent SBRA license. We also take other vintage clubs. We take SDCA license. We're, we're pretty easy to go racing with. The barrier of entry with us is pretty basic, as long as you earn it in that 
you know, somebody's not out there being a crazy person. Okay, good, good, good. So now, do I run around a track on my first weekend with rookie stripes? Is that how you do it? Is that how you label me? So everybody, well, we, pres- no, <laughs> we, we basically, if somebody, if somebody's coming to us for the first time, we request them to race to enter the extra test day. Uh huh. And we and we watch them like a hawk. And when they get through a session, if they've done something that's not the way we do things. One of my race directors or race uh, stewards will go have a chat with the driver, say, hey, this is what we observed. We have all the corner workers know are notified who the rookies are, and then they'll call into race control, hey, this guy's way off the line, this guy's slow, this guy missed the flag, whatever the, you know, whatever the issue is, then we, we coach them and, and coach them up to where they're really good and comfortable in the car. Okay. Now, the other question I have is, for example, when someone's on the track and you – okay, so we talk, the, your staff, for example, is, is, is that uh, an in-house staff or is that a, like a, a, an SCCA staff? Or how do you accumulate the people, corner workers, and everybody that, uh, that, that works within the SVR organization during the actual race? Well, we have, we have several things. One, I have my direct staff and my direct Trans Am staff that really run everything from load-in to the grid, the black flag, the race steward, safety. We have safety dispatch, race director, competition director, technical director. we got a huge team. But then we also, through the track, contract corner workers. Sometimes we hire our own. Sometimes they're provided by the track. Like in the case of a Sebring, where it's a NASCAR-owned track, they provide the corner workers. Some cases where we go to a track, we bring our own. But in this case at, at Sebring, we have both corner workers that are from the track, provided by the track, and then the rest of the staff is my people. Okay. The sessions. So are the sessions like 20, 30 minutes each session? They're- yeah, typically 30 minutes, and that includes the outlap and the cool-down lap. Okay. And then do you have, like, enduro races where they're, like, uh, you know, a couple hours long and, you, and, you, and we, like, two or three different drivers or anything like that? We, we do. We do, a, we do a big four. We would take our fastest cars, prototypes, big open-wheel cars, um, go in an hour and a half enduro, and then we have a small-bore enduro that's one hour. Okay. The one-hour enduro is one pit stop. An hour-and-a-half enduro is two pit stops with a minimum of a five-minute pit stop for a driver change. Okay. So let's just take uh, your an, an average car. Let's take a Mustang because they're, they're, they're usually pretty much yeah. a lot of them in the field. So for me to yeah. go down there with my vintage race car, and let's say it's not an original gold medallion car, but let's just say it's one I built, 65 Fastback yeah. lookalike. What, do you, what, would, what would I expect to pay to, 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 to build out a car so that I could be competitive enough just to have fun on the track. Not to go out there and win, but just to have fun on the track and get some seat time. Well, it, it really depends on um, what you want to do. And you're, they're using the, the analogy that you gave me, the a mid-year 65 Mustang with a small block. You know, you can buy those cars relatively inexpensive, twenty five, thirty thousand. 30000 because, again, it's you, as long as it's got a roll cage and a fuel cell, and it's 
put together well, you can race it. So depending on your mechanical ability, if you can do any of this stuff yourself, if you're paying somebody to weld a roll cage in, it's going to cost you more money. But, you know, it's not, you don't have to spend a lot of money to be competitive in this space. You can find very inexpensive used race cars and tinker on them and go racing. It's not, it's, it's a very inexpensive form of racing compared to trying to field a car for, uh, you know, IMSA or NASCAR or one of the bigger professional deals. This is more for, for grassroots racing. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about Trans Am now, and I'm a huge Trans Am fan. So Trans Am's back now. And and I was going and I'll draw some analogies as we go along. So, you know, you've got like we got the St. Pete Grand Prix coming up, a lot of TV exposure. You got Sebring coming up, a lot of TV exposure. You've got uh, um, Daytona, which we just came off of a few weeks ago, a lot of TV exposure. Uh, Trans Am racing is it getting any kind of uh, TV exposure? You know, so people find out more and more about it. And the beauty of Trans Am is the Mustang, the Camaro, the Challenger. We can all identify with those cars. Those of us that are, I'm in my 60s, so obviously I was around back in the day when I was a kid, and I still remember those cars and identify with those cars, and obviously when you see them at the vintage racetrack. But those cars you can relate to. Where you look at a NASCAR, I don't know what that is. It's just a car with a decal. And then the same thing with IndyCar. It's another car with a bunch of paint stripes on it. So, it, you know, outside of GT racing, you know, like IMSA racing, they, the cars still resemble so much, somewhat of, of what a street car is. So having said that, is Trans Am kind of like up and coming again? Is it is it getting the exposure it deserves, and and what's the future? Well, I, I, I think we've come a long way. Three years ago, I started live streaming our races for the National Trans Am Series with, you know, several cameras, a drone pilot. We're doing it right for TV production. This year, we just signed a deal. Our uh, our National Series will have Trans Am Thursdays. And they will be aired. We have same-day streaming free. You can watch it on Speed Tour TV, on our YouTube channel. It'll be streamed around the world on social media, both Facebook and YouTube and Instagram. And then finally, uh, every Thursday night following our national races, there'll be a one-hour show on primetime on MAV-TV for the TA2 race and a one-hour primetime show that cuts down to fit in the one hour with commercials. It's a highlight show, but it's, it's a lot of racing action, obviously. Every Thursday night on MAV-TV Network. That's new this year. Great. Um, but from a car count standpoint, you know, Trans Am was launched in 1966. Mm-hmm. Last November, the final race of the season, we had 82 entries is the largest Trans Am race in our history. So we're still a long way from being what I want to be, but holy cow, have we come back a long way. Trans Am was really, uh, it was in trouble, and it's completely rebounded. I got a great team, and the racing's amazing. I mean, this weekend, as I said, or next weekend, Richard Petty's grandson's going to have his first Trans Am race, and Richard's going to be the Grand Marshal. In 1966, people don't remember this, Richard Petty ran a Trans Am race at VIR. And now here he is, all these years later, he's going to be the Grand Marshal, and his grandson, his daughter's son, Rebecca, her son, is going to be racing in his first Trans Am race. Thad Moffat's his name. It's pretty cool. 
Wow, that's amazing. You mentioned another name, Borset. I remember watching Borset race Trans Am racing here in St. Petersburg back in 85, 86. Uh, Ford Mustang. Uh, well, he'll, uh, yeah, he'll be back. Uh, Paul Menard, Justin Mark, Borset, Wally Dollenbeck Jr. are all racing uh, in Trans Am this weekend, or that next weekend. And also... Uh, uh, Joe Nemechek racing in SVRA and the stock car group. Oh, wow. Now tell us a little bit about the stock car group. How's that work? What, what are the qualifications there? Uh, very simple. A car that's run in either a NASCAR Cup or Infinity Series that's no longer being used on the track, we put it in a stock car class and we break it by eras. So if it's a bumper stock car versus a you know, a, a car of tomorrow stock car, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, they, we put them all together in one group, but then we have different classes for for uh, recognition. Okay. But I think we got I think we got twenty former NASCAR Cup cars racing at Sebring next weekend. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So, uh, who are some of the sponsors um, involved in, in in let's just say like Trans Am racing, and then well, Trans Am are are one of our biggest sponsors is Pirelli. Pirelli Tire is huge. Um, and my Formula 4 and Formula Regional Hankook Tire, our Prototype Series Hankook, and SBRA Hoosier Tire. Sunoco's a big sponsor. Big Machine Vaca is a huge sponsor. Mission Foods is a huge sponsor. Bridge Hall uh, Logistics is a big sponsor. We got, you know, you go on my website, it goes on and on and on. Avis Rent-A-Car, uh, it's, it's amazing how much scale our sponsorship has come. How about the manufacturers themselves? How about Ford, Chrysler, or what's left of them, um, and General Motors? We, they are not involved as a sponsor at all. The only OEM that's involved with us is Honda. And Honda's involved with us with my Formula Series because they provide the engines for Formula 4 and Formula uh, Regional. So HPD, Honda Performance Division, is a a big sponsor. They provide a scholarship that's a value of over $600,000 to the winning FR driver. That's a Formula Regional driver. Uh, So they can race in Japan in Super Formula. That's one step below Formula 1. So... The champion of our series this year will get a full ride to go to Super Formula in Japan and race. Wow! On behalf of, so it's a it's a pretty important deal. Now, are those are those motors, those Honda motors that they put in those Formula cars, those open wheel cars? Are they basically spec engines? They've all got to be alike, sealed engines. You can't yeah, touch them. Yes, yes, that's correct. Because at that level, you, we're what we're about is that spec engine racing. Spec transmission, spec tires, spec weight, everything is as close to the same as you can build and monitor because we there we want to know who the best driver is. That's very important. In the vintage racing, it's more about the cars and enjoying all the different makes and models. But the, in Formula 4, Formula Regional, Trans Am, that's professional racing. They get paid. It's, got, it's, it's really fun to watch because these, these are young kids that are amazing drivers. All right, so now, you know, it's funny because you talk about vintage. The one thing I used to jo- always joke and say, I, I loved Trans Am and Can-Am back in the day because Can-Am, there were no rules, and Trans Am, it was just nothing but cheating. And so, but by today's standards, 
you know, but the thing is, is back in the day, there was a tremendous amount of innovation going on. Okay, so the cheating led to innovation, led to a lot of things, speed, performance, safety, big deal. But now today, so you get the Trans Am racers. Now, those Trans Am cars, are those basically spec engines? You can't touch them? They're like production motors as well? We have both. In TA2, it is the spec engine that's sealed. In spec chassis, spec brakes, spec tires, spec everything. In my TA class, it's three things. Spec tires, got to run Pirelli tires. You have to weigh a certain weight, but an engine displacement has to be a certain size. You can't exceed. But within that box, that's as loose a box as you can have. We turn them loose for innovation. So okay. if you are, if you can build a better mousetrap, good for you. Just the opposite of spec racing. We encourage development because we, if you can build it, you can race it. And that's, that's what makes the Trans Am class really fun. I mean, if you look at the lap times that we ran at Trans Am at Road America last July, and NASCAR Cup was on the same weekend. My Trans Am guys were four to five seconds a lap faster than NASCAR Cup at Road America Whoa. because there's there's no if you build it you can race it. Now you you think about that. Even my spec series TA2 was a couple seconds a lap faster than the Infinity series when they ran there. So people don't realize how fast these cars are. They're rockets. That that's is, not taking anything. That's not taking anything away from NASCAR or poking NASCAR. I'm just saying to show you the difference. These were what I would call semi-pro racers in Trans Am, and they were they were over four seconds a lap faster. That's a true story. Well, no, but I mean, I, I, honestly, I'm an old schooler. Okay, so I I lean in that direction. I'm I'm all for that, and that's what I think is the beauty of it. And that's what I, and and the thing is, is you've got that going for you. Plus, the cars look like something I could go down and buy at the Ford dealership or the Chrysler dealership. Exactly, exactly, that's exactly right. Let's talk about some that's of the just... let's talk about some of the tracks that you guys compete at. So obviously Laguna Seca, obviously Sears Point. <laughs> And those are my yep. two favorite tracks besides Sebring because I'm from California, so I know those tracks very well. And then you race at Coda, right? You have an event at Coda? Oh, yeah. And then you just mentioned Watkins. Road America, which is Elkhart Lake. Yep. Uh, VRI, Watkins Glen, right? Yep. Those are the best Mid tracks. Mid-Ohio. Mid those are the best tracks in the country. Road Atlanta? I, Road Atlanta. We yeah. know there. <laughs> yeah, we, we um, our footprint... Honestly, it's the best schedule in all over at road racing, bar none. We don't take a back seat to anybody. We race up in Portland International. We paced, We race at um, uh, Spring Mountain north of Utah, or north of uh, Las Vegas. Oh, wow. We race, uh, we, we're all over the country. We race in New Jersey. We race... Uh, uh, Where in New Jersey? Uh, New Jersey Motor Park. Oh, okay. I'm not familiar with that one. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Summit Point, West Virginia. Okay. Um, so we, you know, if it, honestly, we we got the we I think we got the best schedule in all of motorsports for road racing. Let me ask you this: um, with the advent of places like the M1 Concourse in Michigan, 
You've got the Enclave that they're building down here in Tampa, where I'm located. And then you've got this new one over by Lakeland, Circuit of Florida. These are private. And you mentioned Spring Mountain, which is outside of Vegas, which is also a private track. And then I know, I guess, do you go to Miller Motorsports, too? Uh, we have been to Utah. We're not there this year, but we have gone out there a couple times. Okay, so these private race tracks um, are they set up and geared for your type of racing for vintage and or Trans Am? They're good for vintage. I I don't know that they're sufficient in most cases. Like if you take a Monticello or or Spring Mountain or some of those, mm-hmm. they're great for vintage. But I don't know that they're ready to handle my Trans Am series because we draw so many spectators. Oh, okay. You know, we also run two races with IndyCar. Trans Am runs on the same weekend in the Music City Grand Prix, the Big Machine Vodka Music City Grand Prix. That's a street race with IndyCar. And we also will run the Detroit Grand Prix with IndyCar. So we're, we're, in a sense, a support race or the undercard on that weekend. So the fans get to see Trans Am, American Muscle, and they get to see IndyCar race. Interesting. Now, you just you, you, you mentioned that, and that just brought something else to my mind. So we know that Penske, Roger, who's been on my show before, um, bought, I guess he, he's now IndyCar, right? And yeah. does he? And he was involved with Trans Am with Mark Donahue back in the day. Is he got his? Is he got his eyeballs on on Trans Am racing these days by any chance? Uh, oh yeah, he's right. We raced two. We raced two races with Roger. And by the way, we raced at, at Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the on the road course. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I I know Roger very well. Yes, we he uh, he's very aware of Trans Am. Um, he requested us to be on the Detroit Grand Prix this year, coming out this in 23. That's in uh, June. Okay. And uh, we're honored to be back because we're racing American Muscle. It's where we need to be at that race. That's an important thing. So Ford, Chevy, and Dodge will see us do our thing right in their right in their backyard. Just like the good old days in the Motor City. Absolutely. Uh, yes, sir. Exactly. Well, Tony, we've talked quite a bit about all this other stuff, the racing and stuff. Let's talk a little bit about you. Give us a little bit of background on yourself and your racing experiences. Well, I, uh, my first race was in 1969. My father took me when I was a 10-year-old kid to Watkins Glen, and I saw Mark Donahue and, and uh, Roger Penske and Parnelli Jones race in Trans Am in 1969, and that kind of lit the fuse for me over the years i raced everything from dirt cars in upstate new york on the dirt circuit when i was a kid to uh then back in 12 years ago i bought a vintage race car a 1958 corvette and went vintage racing after i sold my company and one of the places i went vintage racing was Watkins Glen. all those years later and for when SVRA was holding a race there, and I was so impressed with what it could be, um, I bought the company, and and I bought it thinking I was going to go racing every weekend and play race car driver and have fun. The reality is this thing has gotten so big, I don't have time. <laughs> I don't have time to run the company and race anymore. So I don't really race too much anymore. I did race in November at Coda, but that was the first time I've sat behind the wheel in, in a few years. So it's uh, 
my racing days are pretty much over only because the business has gotten so big with sponsor demands, spectator demands, and racer demands of my time. It's tough to, it's tough to do both. Well, I'm sure you take some extra time here and there and just kind of strap on a helmet and, and, and slither into a suit and put the belts around you and just kind of go around the track a few times, don't you? I honestly, once in a while, I'll drive the pace car just to scratch that itch, just so I got, I can say I was out on the track, and it just feels fun to do that. But I don't honestly run in the show now. With this has gotten so big, uh, I really don't have time to race anymore, and still take care of my customers. So, not too much any anymore. In the early days, I did. I tried to do both, but as we grew as a company, the demands focus on the business far outweighed my requirements to go racing so i the racing had to suffer a little bit i've gone to other people's races but i'm still in the space people know who i am so it it makes it hard to just go race for for fun now okay how about barbara motorsports you've been on that track did uh i have i have i have not that's one of the few tracks i have not raced at or brought sra to I have been to Barber to see the motorcycle collection. It's phenomenal, and mm-hmm. it looks like a really nice facility. It's just my schedule to fit a day in, another weekend in, with our current schedules is just brutal. We just can't, and we don't want to go there in July. You know, you, we, you want to be at Barber in, in Alabama. You want to be there when the weather's cold up north, and you put our our spring and fall schedule is so packed i don't know that we can fit barber in it's a good track though how many how many events do you do a year 25 that's quite a few <laughs> that's two a yes, month it is. that's two a month yeah yeah wow. and it really is and you can't race in december and we well you could in florida i guess and we don't race in december or january so we got 25 events from february to november that's a that's a that's a pretty aggressive schedule. Wow, sounds like it. All right, so let me ask you this. So we're basically in the United States. Do you go up to Mossport in Canada at all? No, no, not yet. We were we were scheduled to go to Mossport, and uh, COVID hit, and then to cross the border was such a hassle, uh, and knowing that you could do it with certainty, we decided to table Mossport. I, and now it's called Canadian Tire. I would like to go there. That might be a future thing that we do because um, they're really good people up there. And Ron Fellows is really the managing partner of that racetrack, and he's raced with me several times. He's just such a gracious guy. I want to go. I want to go race there at some point, but we just don't have it on the schedule right now. Okay. Now, how about bringing? Are there any other racing groups? Uh, let's say a la SVRA, Trans Am, or Open Wheel, that you are thinking about adding to your existing organization? Not at this time. We got we our plates pretty full right now. I'm always got my eyes open, but we uh we signed a deal where we took over SCCA Pro for sanctioning. Okay. We now run that group. We have that for tw- the next 25 years. We signed a 25 year agreement. So we are able to sanction other professional race series. So that's going to be, rather than me buy another series, we'll just sanction other race groups 
and combine them when it makes sense on speed tour weekends or add weekends of other pro races that we just think, you know, that's our, that's the process we started a year ago. Okay. Super, super. Well, Tony, it's been real interesting. Um, what else would you like to share with us? We've got a few minutes left. Uh, uh, well, I just appreciate you having me on the show. I hope uh, this was helpful. And if you get a chance to come over to Sebring next weekend, come on. This coming weekend, we'll be off. But the following weekend, the last weekend of the month, come see the race. Are you are you are you going to be in Florida? I live in Florida, and I'm in the. Uh, we're doing a live radio show from Florida here in Clearwater, uh, just outside yeah. of Tampa. So yes, and I'm planning on being there next week sometime. I'm I'm gonna I definitely come down for the test and tune on on I'm thinking about on Thursday, and uh, and then try to get there for the rest of the weekend. So I want to I like to see the early stuff. Yeah, well come come on down, and if you come on Saturday, Richard Petty's going to be there. You get a chance to. Meet Richard is such a class act, and uh, you can watch his grandson get his feet wet in his first Trans Am race. Wow. All right, so, Tony, go ahead and tell everybody one more time how they can find out more about SVRA uh, as a potential driver, race car driver, or just as an enthusiast and spectator. Yeah, if both. All you have to do is go to the SVRA website, and you click on Upcoming Events. And you'll see where we are in the coming weeks ahead. Um, the Trans Am uh, series, if you go to gotransam.com or if you go to sbra.com, both have all the schedules listed. Our Sebring race for spectators is Friday, starts on Friday, February 24th through the 26th. And if you have a, a car that you want to show, Saturday, there's a show and shine Haggerty car show. It's cars and caffeine, and for fifty dollars, you get in two tickets to the watch the races all weekend. You get to show your car, win a prize, and you get to drive around the track at lunchtime on Saturday. That's pretty cool. That is a bargain. Fifty bucks to yes. get in and all that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you get to do track touring at the same time. That's tough to argue with. Yeah, that's hard to beat that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and Sebring is recognized as the oldest racetrack, official sanctioned racetrack in the state of Florida. So that's a piece of history you're driving on. Uh, for sure. And if you're coming out of St. Pete, uh, where you're, you're only about 90 minutes away, something like that. Yeah. Super. Well, Tony, thank you very much. I want to thank my very special guest, uh, Tony Perella from SVRA and the Trans Am Series. Trans Am Race Company, I guess you call it, right? Is that what it is? Yes. That's correct. All right. Well, Tony, thank you very much. You take care, and I'll see you next week. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. No, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, all right. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgia Wedding Cards. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday between 7 and 8 p.m. on the Town Talk Radio Network for really cool stuff about really cool cards. But, hey, guess what, guys? I got something else I want to tell you. You know, over the weekend, we went down to Sarasota, and they have a thing on every Tuesday or every second Saturday of the month. It's called uh, it's kind of like a cars and coffee at the uh, what's that? The University Town Center is that what it is, Bobby? Yes. yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, and uh, so we went down there. Me and a couple guys. We drove Porsches down there, you know. So we we're all over the road. And then we went down to the Ideal Auto Sales in, in Venice, and they had another little car show going on there. And then we stopped by my good friends. 
the uh, at Vintage Motors in Sarasota, and then went to the Car Museum. Uh, big shout out to Martin and those guys. It's some pretty cool cars there. If you're ever looking for some really really classy cars, and right now I'm holding up some uh, 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 some cash here. See, this is cash, cash, cash. Yeah, kind of cash. <laughs> anyway, hey, if you got a junk car you need to get rid of, I can't help it. I'm still back in the junk car business. You know, I always buy some stuff. So give me a call here at. Uh, well, Google us at uh, Nostalgic Radio and Cars and or GulfstreamMotorsports.com, and we'll do an appraisal on your car. We'll do a diminished value valuation on your car, you know, condition report, basically, uh, or total loss. And uh, if you have a junk car, crash car, I will buy your car. I'm doing this. I got this. You know what? When I met Asian from Farm Truck back in the day, he pulled out a stack of $100 bills, and he went like that. that I thought that was good because he was trying to, you know, uh, hustle everybody, which is he was good at it. But Asia was a pretty cool guy, so I don't know what those guys are still at, on the air or not. But uh, but anyway, I just thought I'd try it. And uh, so all right, so we got a whole bunch of stuff going on. We got uh, the Speed Tour in Sebring. Vintage Truck Show is next week in Sarah's in uh, at Sumter County at the fairgrounds. We got uh, Amelia is coming up in a couple of weeks. The National Mustang Racing Association is also coming up in a couple of weeks. And then after that, the National Mu- the National Muscle Car thing. That's all at the Orlando Speed World. So we will be checking all this stuff. Obviously, I'll be at Sebring next week. And, uh, you know, really cool car stuff going on. Don't forget some of the local car shows. And check out FLA.com. No, FLACarshows.com. Right, Bobby? And uh, That's so the place cool. to be. That's the place to be. But anyway, in the meantime, we'll see you on the road. Birds of rubber. Stay safe. Drive carefully. And love your family. Happy Valentine's Day to all the women out there. And Clearwater FM 106.1 WDCF Dade City FM 102.3 WZHR Zephyr Hills FM 104.3 Listen